0: You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 666. Here's the thing about power. What good is power if you got nobody to share it with? Shazam podcasting from the back alley in Hollywood. It's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host,
1: Alex Ferrari.
0: Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Have you ever wanted to learn from a Hollywood blockbuster screenwriter or even an Oscar winner? Well, I wanted to put together a free three-day screenwriting video series taught by legendary screenwriters David Goyer, from who wrote The Dark Knight, Nia Valjuras, who wrote The Big Fat Greek Wedding, Oscar-winning Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma Louise, and Oscar-winner Paul Haggis, who wrote Casino Royale. If you want access to this free class, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash free. Today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker ebook and of course audiobook. If you want to order it just head over to www.filmbizbook.com that's film b i z book.com. Now guys, so many filmmakers out there go the route of making a short film in hopes of it being seen by somebody in Mount Hollywood where they will come down and go we want to make your short film into a feature film. And then that will launch your career into doing huge, big-budget uh, horror movies or big-budget uh, studio superhero films, and, and your life would be set as a filmmaker. And that is the dream of so many filmmakers out there. But alas, it happens once in a blue moon, and today's guest did exactly what I just said. We have today writer-director David F. Sandberg. Now, David made a short film, or actually made a bunch of short films, back in 2013. He was just making it with his girlfriend, now wife, uh, in their house. Very simple, very low budget, not too complex, but they were scary as all hell. And one of those shorts happens to be called Lights Out. And that short went around the, the festival circuit, but didn't make a whole lot of noise for some reason. You know, He got here, got there, got a couple of awards, but definitely did not set the festival circuit on fire. So then he posted it up online uh, through YouTube and all of a sudden it went viral. People were watching it. It was going up tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, up to millions of times being seen and one of those people that saw it was director James Wan, the filmmaker behind The Conjuring Universe, Saw, Furious 7, and Aquaman just to name a few. Now James helped him produce the feature version of Lights Out, which went on to make $150 million at the box office with a $5 million budget. His next film was Annabelle Creation, which also did obscene amounts of money. With a $15 million budget, it grossed over $300 million worldwide. And soon after that, he was offered Shazam, being part of the DC universe. And arguably, Shazam is... One of the most fun, enjoyable uh, films in the DC universe, and it was—it's—it's uh, a—it's a rag to riches story. He came from across the world, couldn't afford uh, an apartment here while the first movie was getting done. There were so many amazing stories that he gave us in this episode. So, without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with David F. Sandberg I would like to welcome the show David Sandberg, man. How you doing, David? I'm
1: doing all right. How are you doing?
0: As as good as I can be in this insane world that we <laughs> that we live in. Uh, but I'm but I'm yeah. doing well, man. I'm doing I'm doing I'm better than I should. Let's just put it yeah.
1: that way. <laughs> yeah, well, it's pretty much same here. Yeah,
0: yeah. So thank you so much for being on the show, man. I'm I'm a fan of of your work, and uh, I wanted to kind of talk shop with you for a little bit. So, um, first things first why did you decide to be a filmmaker what made you want to come into this ridiculous business
1: i i mean i've always been fascinated by movies and always wanted to make movies like since i was very young like i think my dad bought a video camera when i was well i think i was five actually Um, so it's always been a thing and i've always been sort of fascinated of about how it works and how to do it and you know one of my Early sort of memories, I, I remember because I was playing around with my dad's video camera and like, OK, th- this is how it works. And then I, I remember watching the Muppets as a kid and they had this thing where they had a musical number. And when they were changing angles, I was like, how do they do that? Because I, I only knew like having one camera. So it's America. like, do, do they everyone just pause at, at, at a certain moment and then they move it around and then they do it again. Like I was trying to figure out like how, how does that work? Multicamera thing. <laughs> Uh, no, so it, it's always been my goal and it's always been what I've wanted to do. I've had certain other interests, but movies have uh, always been the thing.
0: And, uh, well, let's give a shout out to the Muppet show for, for, our for, for artists. We're similar vintages. I'm a little older than you, but we're similar vintages. The Muppet show
1: was, yeah.
0: <laughs> was the thing, man, growing up. And by the way, everyone listening, all five seasons will be on Disney plus, uh, coming next month. I <laughs> So
1: yeah, I saw that.
0: <laughs> that should be that should be fun. Now you also did a lot of uh, animated uh, shorts. What 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 was what drew you? No pun intended. Uh, to uh, to animation when you first started out.
1: It was actually necessity. Like I've always liked drawing, and you know, like comic books and stuff like that. Uh, and then, as I was in my early twenties or something like that. I really started messing around with it because it was something I could do all by myself. And my first real animated short was something I made after I was going to do a horror movie with some friends in Sweden. This was during the winter and it was so cold that we gave up after just (laughs) shooting a couple of shots. Uh, And then when I got back home, it's like, I still want to do something. So I made like a little animated. I mean, it, it was actually barely even animated. It was almost like a slideshow. But I made that and this was in early 2006 and I put it up on YouTube because I would just gotten an account there because it was like, I didn't even know what it was. It's like, okay, you can upload videos. So I uploaded that and it actually got some traction in Sweden, you know, got some views and people seemed to really like it. So I made another short that got even more attention that went viral in, in Scandinavia, which got me like, Won some awards at like a film festival and um, started getting companies asking me to do like, hey, could you do a little animated short for our company that we can put up on YouTube? So I was starting to get, you know, work doing that. Not a lot of money or anything, but I was able to like start my own company, which was just me, but so I could uh, charge people for it. Um, so I, I did that and did documentary work for a few years in Sweden um, and, and made an OK living. Out. Like sometimes I had money. So other times I had to uh, live off my wife and because she had a steady job, you know. Um, I, know that,
0: I know that feeling very well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> We're filmmakers. Um, we all, isn't it true that all filmmakers, all, all guys, well, filmmakers in general should have a spouse that is extremely supportive. And also does not work in the business or has a steady job outside the business.
1: <laughs> it certainly helps, yeah. I, <laughs> but the goal for us, for Lotta and me, my wife, was mm-hmm. to make things together, and that's what we started doing. We started making shorts together, and that's how we made Lights Out, which <laughs> went even more viral than anything I'd done before, and which led to ending up here in Hollywood. So you'd make
0: so you you've been and from my from my saw in your filmography, you were ma- you were making shorts constantly. You're making these small shorts and just kind of putting them out. And then you made lights out and you just posted it, not really thinking much. It was just another short. It wasn't like, this is the thing that's going to blow me up or anything like that. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: No, no, it it was actually just the second short that Lota and I made together. Oh, wow. Because what happened was, you know, I'd, I'd done... I'd started doing like animated shorts right, and things like one, that and yeah. got got a little bit of a following on on YouTube from from Swedes because it was mostly in Swedish. Um, and then, yeah, we did a little short called Camp Closer, Lotta and I, which was just two minutes or something like that. But we really enjoyed that. And we were like, yeah, let's keep doing this. And yeah, we saw a contest online, like make an under three minute horror short and win some prizes. And that's what we made lights out for. But yeah, it was only supposed to be uh a contest submission and i did win best director but the movie itself didn't make like the the finalists the top six finalists um so it's like yeah well, that was cool i won best director but that was the end of that was, was, was what we thought but then a couple of months after that yeah some it just suddenly went viral um and that that so we got when that happened we started getting contacted by all these people like in Hollywood, you know, agents and managers and producers and everything, um, and started having conversations about making a movie. But while this was going on, that was a little over a year of like back and forth and deciding which manager to go with and talking to the producer and all that. So, and we didn't know if this was actually real. So that's when, where we kept making shorts because it's like, let's let's not take this for granted, let's just, let's keep making stuff. So most of our shorts were made in that period. Uh, and we even started having these plans on, uh, to, to make a, a feature, just Lotta and I, mm-hmm. which would have been difficult, but <laughs> we had an would, idea it would, that- It would, it would just be worked. the
0: two of you. It would have just been the two of you.
1: Yeah, the same way we made our shorts, just feature length, basically. That would have been interesting. That would have been it, it would have, but yeah, before we got that far, the the Hollywood thing turned out to be real and we, we got to move here.
0: So that, that's the thing I, I, I want people to listen to, to understand that just because you start getting calls from Hollywood and, and you get a lot of attention, you have a short and you get some heat, because I've been down that road a bunch of times earlier in my career as well. And you just don't know. Sometimes it pops like it does for you. Sometimes it doesn't like other directors. Yeah. And you guys were smart. You're like, you know what? This 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 could all be b s yeah, uh, you didn't feed into the hype, which is so amazing. and how old were you at this point?
1: uh wait, wait, when was this? <laughs> so I must have been thirty three or thirty four
0: all right, so you had already yeah, been you've been around the block a couple times, you know, so it wasn't like your twenties
1: no, I, I mean th- that was kind of the thing as well that we, we were kind of feeling like something needs to happen soon because in Sweden you know, I was trying to get money from the Swedish Film Institute for like horror movies and things like that. And what happened was they were like, well, you're not experienced enough to get the, like, you know, the, the proper funding and what, and they also have like beginner money, but that's for people under 30. And I was now just over 30. So it's like, well, what am I supposed to do now? I'm too inexperienced for this. And I'm too old for that. Like, what are we going to do? Which is why we started just making things with no money on our own, um, yeah.
0: And then so you start call, so they so you you spend this year you're making other short films, and then the thing from Lights Out actually starts turning into a real thing, and they fly you out to L.A. and and they want to make a feature with you off your short, right?
1: Yeah, so- well, yeah, pretty early on they wanted us to come out, like our manager and, and agent wanted us to come out and meet people and everything, but we we were like we don't have any money, we can't fly to the U.S. That's expensive uh so we had to do everything via yeah skype and email and phone calls and stuff but then uh, when it started getting closer the producer of the movie flew us out for a little over a week so we could meet everyone and like start you know meet james wan and Mm -hmm. uh who produced the film and and take a bunch of meetings and then a couple of months after that it was like yeah movie's happening we need you here now and we're gonna pay for the flight and everything
0: that was the key point. You'll pay for the flight. Okay, I'll show up.
1: Uh, well, yeah. Otherwise, I couldn't do it. You know.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I, I I feel you, man. I feel you. Yeah. So you done. But, you did. You um. You did something that most a uh, like a lot of independent filmmakers dream about, which is make a short film, put it on the internet, get it goes viral. Hollywood calls. They want to develop yeah. a feature around that short. What was the development process like? Because I'm assuming it was a kind of shock to the system coming from Sweden. And doing everything yeah. yourself like a diy stuff and then just being thrown into you know a hollywood yeah. movie
1: yeah i mean i think is, i think <laughs> that experience is pretty unique going from like no budget you know and then the right sweetened. into the uh, so,
0: uh, other side of the world which is another it, whole conversation not like kansas or another part no. of america like you're completely culture shock <laughs> Mo- yeah. on multiple uh, levels
1: and yeah we we had no idea that a a two-and-a-half-minute short could lead to anything like that. We We thought, you know, we had a plan of, like, yeah, trying to get some money so we could make longer shorts, and maybe that would get some attention, you know. We got to skip all of that. Uh, But, yeah, it it was sort of a journey because, first of all, I had to figure out who these managers and agents were that contacted me because, uh, you know, I'd never heard their names before. And so I got, like, an IMDb Pro account, signed up for that, so I could see, okay, what other clients do they have? And, like, are these guys for real um so yeah the process was sort of first getting or you know deciding on a manager and an agent which it it was a very strange position to be in to have sort of multiple offers because then once i decided i had to like Contact you know like WME and say like yeah sorry I don't, don't want to <laughs> I've already picked someone else you know which was very strange because if it had been like a month earlier I would have been begging them to to take me on um so that that was sort of the first step and then uh, at first I started talking to a writer uh, who I came into contact with through one of the many managers I was talking to he was like hey I have this client. Uh, and he he had written this script that I had heard about because, you know, the blacklist that comes out every year, even, you know, back in Sweden, you, you, you can usually find even there, you can usually find these scripts online. You know, someone always puts them up. So I would download a bunch of scripts to see like, OK, what what are good scripts? What, they, what do they look like? And he had a, a horror script that had been on there. So I started talking to this writer. He put me into contact with a producer he knew lawrence gray who you know became the producer on the movie um but then the writer his ideas were too big for me like it was like this worldwide event um and yeah it was just like no one's going to give me a first-time director all this money to do with such a big movie so i told my managers and everyone like i i i don't like the idea and they were like well what would you do and i wrote down sort of a, a treatment That is very similar to what Lights Out became. And the producer I talked to, he still liked that. And it was just a a long back and forth. So then we got Eric Heiser on board through that producer. And then I needed to get a lawyer so we could make a deal and everything. And so I had to lots of, you know, interviews with that. And it was like, well, how do you even pick a lawyer? I don't know. So I went with the guy who who had watched my entire YouTube channel, like even the Swedish stuff he had watched and was like, well, okay, he really seems to be very dedicated. So, okay, now I have a lawyer. Now we have a producer. Now we have a a writer. And, you know, it's pretty soon we had like a deal made. And that uh, was about that point when the producer flew us out so we could meet for real and start talking more and meet with like a new line because James Wan came on board as a producer and he was like a new line are great for horror you know he cuz he had done conjuring and all this stuff with them um yeah it, it was just a, a long process of lots and lots of conversations and then you know once i got here it was yeah that was quite a shock too just because i'd never been on a film set before or like i didn't know how things worked i knew how to tell a story but i didn't know how movies were made here beyond what i had seen in like behind the scenes and commentary tracks on DVDs and things like that.
0: Yeah, so that's the thing. So you were, you're you basically a DIY guy. I mean, you're doing everything yourself. It's like you and your wife, essentially. So you're shooting everything yourself on all these, the shorts. And even when you were in talks to do Lights Out, you're still shooting all these shorts by yourself. So coming onto a professional Hollywood set must have been just completely jarring. You Like you were saying, you didn't know who who did what other than no. the only, the only educate, cause you didn't go to film school, right? No. Right. So the only education you had was YouTube or director's commentaries or behind the scenes of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. yeah. No, no. So when we were interviewing, when I got the interview, like the crew members, a lot of that was just asking, so what do you do? What, what's your job on set? You know, how, <laughs> how do these <laughs> things work? And, uh, and you know, we, Before we started shooting, we did like a camera test. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
0: And now back to the show.
1: And that was sort of my first feel of how, of a movie set. I mean, it was a smaller scale because it was just a camera test, but already then I was like, Ooh, like, when do I say action or like, how do I, that's when I started realizing like, Ooh, I, I really don't know how things work on a movie set so i had to ask the assistant director like yeah when do i say action because it's like yeah sound speed and these things that were called out first um but yeah yeah i i think they thought that i was more experienced than i was because they would ask like okay so who's the dp you usually work with or do you have a storyboard guy and I was like no that's just me doing that myself so it was just like trying to keep up appearances. Like I knew what I was doing because obviously they think I'm more experienced than I am. So it it was extremely stressful to be honest.
0: Um, I can imagine. And
1: and yeah, trying to navigate that and and working with so many professionals because even, you know, the PAs had more experience than me. They had worked on a bunch of movies. I'd never worked on any movie. So yeah, it was extremely stressful.
0: (laughs) And, and yeah, I could only imagine that the PAs uh, knew more than you. I mean, so you're going through that whole process. Um, did you have to deal with, I mean, because uh, you were, that was like a $5 million budget, right? Like you went yeah. from no money to a $5 million budget, which is a substantial shock to the system and also the pressure and the stress of just having
1: yeah. on your shoulders. Well, you'd think so. But I mean, what I <laughs> discovered is that, a five million dollar movie in the studio system is the the absolutely lowest budget like they don't even know how to make a movie with less money than that because i mean things are more expensive with unions and everything and like overhead and so and i think on on lights out as well crew members were saying like this feels more like a 1.2 million dollar movie or something because i think we had you know we had big producers on it and you know a lot of above the line money and things Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I quickly realized that, okay, you can't do anything because it, it felt like that. Oh, $5 million, there are no limits to what we can do. <laughs> right. Um, but, but then it was like, yeah, can we have rain in this scene? I was like, no, nope, can't afford that. Oh, okay. And it actually was more limiting because I was told it was kind of in error, but because I would be like, hey, well, we can do this effect if we just do a split screen or, you know, we do this thing here and they were like well, well that's not part of the plan because that a split screen is a, a visual effect you know that's and that's going to cost money you know to get a VFX company or whatever to do these things and i was like what you can do that in the editing software or like but the thing is you know when you're editing i mean you're, you're just editing QuickTime files you know like prores or, or whatever like proxies and then everything else is done by the the post company or the di's it was just very confusing of like how can how can i not do these simple things that i can do in my no budget shorts but what i then found out once we got into the editing process then the editor told me that no the (laughs) vfx they don't have a union so anyone can do vfx so you can do that yourself if you want to we can get you the files and you can but even that was weird because if i wanted Hey, I need this shot and this shot so I can do it myself. I need the raw files. And then it was like, well, that's a little bit of a cost to get that from the the, the company who's, who's dealing with all the files and the, where we're going to do the DI and everything. So it was just so many things were, that kind of felt more limiting than on a no-budget short I, I would make myself, which was weird. But it, it yeah, I, I found out that anyone can do visual effects on a movie. Which which helped me in that case.
0: Now, when you were, and I've I've had this happen to me on set many times when I'm working, when I was younger, especially when I was coming up, I'd imagine that some some people on the set picked up that you were not the most experienced director.
1: Oh, oh yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm mean, they usually smell that out pretty pretty quickly, especially if you're a veteran. Did you have any pushback? Did you have to deal with any kind of politicking on set that you have to definitely?
1: Deal with? I mean, yeah, I mean we had. I mean, th- these were guys <laughs> who had worked on huge movies, you right. know, like X-Men and, like you know, these things. And and I think some of them were just doing it kind of like a favor to James Wan or, you know, wanted to be in his uh, circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I mean, one one problem was. You know when we're doing the effect of the ghost being there and not being there. I mean, it, it's simple. Like you, you put the camera down, and then you shoot it with a person, then without a person. You do a clean plate. Um, and what happened was, like I was got into this argument with the camera guy because like we shot the ghost there, and then it's like okay now let's do the clean p- plate. And he was like we already got it. I was like why no we we don't have it from this angle no no but we got it from the other angle that's fine you know and it was like. What are you talking about like we i can't cut between the two things i mean if it's off even a, a oh, centimeter it's yeah it, it's not going to work i mean what i've then learned uh on doing shazam like on a movie like that the clean plates don't have to match that much you know because they they'll you know you can just do a somewhat similar move or you're like you can move the camera around and whatever and they'll take the clean plate and like reproject it and track it and create a new shot um, that matches perfectly from that. So I mean, the camera operator on on lights out. I mean, he came from movies like that. So to him, it's like, well, we already shot that area without a person when we were over here, so they can just use that. Um, but that turned into an argument where I had to like, I think that was the first time I had to like raise my voice on that film set where it's like, no, just put the camera here, okay, press record, okay. Now we take in the actor, we do the thing, yeah. keep rolling. Now she steps out and like, I had to really do it like step by step. This is how we do it. So and there were a lot of things like that. And um, I've talked about, you know, with the DP as well. Like he was uh, kind of, you know, he was worried about going too dark. And I was like, well, it needs to be really dark. It's, that, it's that's what the whole out. movie is about. It's, yeah, yeah. It's got lights But out. he was worried that, well, you know, if the studio thinks it's too dark. They're not going to hire me again. And right, you so. know, yeah, there, there were a lot of those things that were extremely frustrating. Um, and you know, I'm not a very confrontational guy, so it, it, it sort of <laughs> builds up until I just can't deal with it anymore. And I, either I get depressed or I will have to raise my voice and, and, and get it done, you know?
0: And that's the reality of things that th- th- these are the kind of stories I love to talk about because these are the things that are generally not in the press kit
1: <laughs> generally
0: yeah. not in in the press tour of films and filmmakers when they watch a story like yours they're like oh my god look what, you know what David Sandberg did he did Lights Out and and you become one of those kind of like El Mariachi stories right, yeah. you, you know or Kevin Smith stories like you know those kind of mythical stories like oh my god that's the thing but there's stuff that happens behind the scenes that that they, they have to understand that this is there's, – there's the lottery ticket, which is what yeah. you, know, you got, but there's a lot of people who didn't win the lottery or there's a lot of stuff in between that going through yeah. that process that they don't talk about. So that's why I love going a little bit deeper into these things so people really have an understanding about what the realities of working in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, is. And, and I mean the thing I reflect on now afterwards is like how bad things could have gotten because when we got here, you know, they paid for the flight. And they paid for, you know, a hotel for a couple of weeks, and then we had to find a place and everything. But the thing was that I wasn't didn't start getting paid until the movie was officially greenlit, right. which was was weird because we we had like a production office with all these people there working, and I was like, well, how can the movie not be greenlit? Like we're spending we're, money. What's, what's, yeah, we're spending money. Everyone's here. I was like, why am I not getting paid? Um, so you know, we had to first of all you know we borrowed everything we could from our families back home like so we could survive uh and then that money ran out and so then we we borrowed money from the producer we borrowed money from my manager and it was like it was this feeling of like if this falls apart now and movies can fall apart at any moment like you can start shooting a movie and it falls apart and you you, everyone has to go home if that had happened we would have been in so much shit because we wouldn't have been able to pay back people because that that was another shock coming here and finding out like what rent is in LA. It's
0: very affordable to live in LA, very, (laughs) extremely affordable.
1: I mean, we were, (laughs) I mean, we lived in Gothenburg, which is not the cheapest city in Sweden. And, you know, our apartment there, we thought was pretty expensive for us. And we came here and we lived in half a garage in Burbank and the rent was two and a half times... (laughs) our big apartment in sweden and it's just like holy shit and and that's another thing everything happened so quick that we didn't have time to like sublet our apartment or anything so we just sort of locked the door and got on a plane and so so that money was going as well so it's like if this doesn't happen now we're gonna be in so much
0: shit. we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor now back to the show,
1: you know, and I, I'm sure there are for every story like ours, I'm sure there's like a hundred or a thousand stories of people where it did go to shit and they were like, it mostly broke and yeah. yeah I, so, I mean, we, we know how extremely lucky we were that, look, it, I, that it worked out.
0: I moved out here 12 years ago and I literally had, I, I just, all I had was a final cut system and my wife, we got an apartment in North Hollywood we had i think 10 or 12,000 bucks saved up and i had no job i knew two people in la my wife knew nobody and and we just like we'll we'll figure it out and yeah. that and we're like we have at least 6 months to a year of that we can survive but it i know a lot of personal friends of mine who made the trip out here and try to make a go of it and they just just they they go because it's, it's too hard it's not your story is definitely uh, the unique, <laughs> the unique story yeah. in the bunch. But you're right. You were, you were, and you were, you were actually in a place where you were like on. You were working with big producers, and you were working, and you were still not getting paid. And that's nothing against them. It was just the way the system is set up. And you yeah. just, and you're coming in, just looking around, going, "What? What do you mean? How can I not be being paid? We have an office. Like this is not the way business is run <laughs> in
1: general." Yeah. Now, I remember one of the guys involved with the movie, one of the the producers was talking about having like a, a chef working for like a private chef or whatever, who was getting like a thousand bucks a week. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Like I, I'd kill to have a thousand bucks a week to get paid that, you know, it's like it, we felt so, you know, like such outsiders and, it, it, you know, pretty early on after we got here was when, you know, James Wan, he had, um. He had, uh you know, the Furious Seven had just made like a billion dollars. Sure. So, and we were invited to like, we were at the same agency, so we were invited to this like party in honor of James Wan to <laughs> celebrate the, his achievement. And so Lotta and I, I mean, yeah, we we had no money, so we were like, okay, what kind of clothes do we have that we can look kind of fancy in, you know? And and mm-hmm. we're sweet, so we're we're always like early we're on time you know so we show up to this mansion in, in beverly hills and they had like valets and i was like holy did they a valets for a private house it's like holy shit yeah and, and we go in there and since we're so early there's like pretty much no one else there it's just the two of us in this giant mansion and then these people start coming in and we were just like we felt like such imposters you know like we had just snuck into this party so we were just like standing in a corner. And, you know, we had our own secret language, Swedish. So we were like trying to look like we were just having a casual conversation. But all we were saying was just like, holy shit, what are we doing here? This is just weird. And then like these celebrities would show up like Vin Diesel and Adrian Brody. And like, holy. Yeah, it, it was just surreal. And yeah, we were just two broke Swedes who felt like we had just gotten into a Hollywood party.
0: Yeah, you're waiting for any time any moment security would come in, like you two, come here. You're yeah. not supposed to be here. Just time yeah. to
1: go. <laughs> yeah.
0: That that's insane. All right. So you had that experience and obviously lights out came out. It was a very big hit for the studio. Uh it did very well, especially off of the budget that you made. So then they offered you your second feature, Annabelle Creation.
1: Um Yeah, they actually did that before the movie even came out because oh, they, you know, we we had test screenings and stuff, and it tested really well. So everyone was really happy about it and they were everyone oh this is going to be a hit and i was like well how can you know like you can't be sure it could be a total bomb but everyone's really sure that it was going to be a hit um so they they offered me annabelle uh a sequel to annabelle um and so yeah i started working on that before lights out was even out that so that came out during the middle of shooting annabelle which was also very (laughs) surreal in that we had to like break or rap early that day. So I could go to the premiere of lights out at the you know Chinese theater, mm-hmm. which is so Hollywood like, yeah, we have to go rap early so I can go to the <laughs> premiere of my other movie. But I think it was also good because then I didn't have time to freak out. But like, Oh, how, how is it going to perform and mm-hmm. all of that? Because I was already on my second movie. And th- that was also a thing where it's like, I needed to find a second movie quickly because on the first one, you know, I got paid scale. Uh, sure. for, for that movie because it was my first one. And, you know, scale on a $5 million movie is still more money than I had ever made before. But because we, like, had to pay everyone back and, like, you take care of everything, that movie that money was starting to run out. And now I remember, like, when this person at the studio was surprised, like, what, you already burned through your Lights Out money? It's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I had to pay back a lot of people. So that was... You know, I had to find something, the next thing quickly, and 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 I was very happy that they offered me to direct Annabelle.
0: So then, uh, what was the difference in experience from you know doing Lights Out to Annabelle?
1: I mean, it was night and day. I mean, I still to this day, Annabelle Creation has been the best experience so far because then, then I knew how movies worked, mm-hmm. like how a film set worked, and I knew all the steps. Yeah, because there was just so much learning. I mean, even, you know, when we were doing the sound mixing on Lights Out, I came in there and they were like doing all these things. And I'm like, okay, so when do I say what I want or like what's happening here? And like, you know, so on on Annabelle Creation, I finally felt that, okay, now I know the whole process. I know how a film set works. And now we had more days, we had more money. uh, And it was just, Pleasant experience. Uh it was just, yeah, enough money, enough days, and less pressure as well, because it wasn't my first movie and this feeling of I better get this right, or I'm this is my one shot at Hollywood. Because now I felt like, yeah, even if I fucked this up, I will have made two movies in Hollywood and you know, I might still get a third chance if Lights Out does well and everything.
0: Yeah, and and I'm I'm imagining that it was a good feeling that while you're in production on Annabelle, that you're you know you see the returns and the reviews on Lights Out come out, and I'm sure that boosted your confidence a bit. I mean, we all go yeah. through imposter syndrome. I'm assuming you yeah. probably were you were infected uh, yeah, with imposter syndrome all, all the time. No, <laughs> and
1: the thing was that I I hated Lights Out until we had test screenings of it because just watching it, I mean, first of all. the first times you watch it is it's temp audio temp music and like temp effects and like the colors aren't right and it just feels really lame so i was really depressed seeing like the first cut of it and thinking like uh maybe maybe we can cut a cool trailer out of it because there's some cool shots in there but the movie just sucks uh so we you know just started cutting out as much as possible (laughs) just like take out this take out that scene and trim this and just to get it down to like the bare bones story. Like I just wanted as little of the movie in the movie (laughs) as possible. So it's a very tight movie at at 80 minutes, but, um, uh, yeah. So, so, but I still sort of felt that this is a a piece of shit until we started screening it to people and I could sit there in the audience and hear and see their reactions. They were laughing, they were getting scared. And that was the moment where it's like, okay, maybe it isn't so bad. Maybe this is an okay movie after all. So yeah, it wasn't until then that I started feeling a little bit better about it.
0: Um, And then Annabelle comes out and it's also another hit. So you have now hit, you've had two hits back to back. Yeah. And So you you didn't even have time to worry about your sophomore curse. No. You know, the <laughs> yeah. jinx, there's no, there were, you were in the middle of it. And it was the your-
1: same thing with Shazam that I got right. that job before Annabelle Creation was even out. Uh, So, yeah, my agents and I mean, everyone was telling me, like, don't get used to this. Like things don't usually go this quickly and this well. Like it's it's not normal.
0: Right. But but then you got so then you got Shazam, which is a I mean, that's a step up budget. That's a step up in everything. And Shazam, you know, you're in the DC universe now, which, you know, the DC universe has had a couple stumbles along the way on their side and and they have some, you know, obviously Batman and Superman and those kind of things. But it was rough. And then you got something like Shazam, which was coming out completely different than it's not a dark and broody movie. It is a fun, let's have some fun kind of movie. It's what I love about Shazam so much. It was just so much fun. And it's also in the story. It's great with the little kid that turns into but like, who doesn't want that story? So, you know, what was it what was it like going in dealing with not only the pressure of a big studio movie, and it's a big superhero yeah. movie, but also translating a beloved IP and character onto the screen that's never really been on the screen like that before. I don't know yeah, yeah. if never been at that level. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: No, they did serials in the forties and and a TV show in the seventies. Um, but yeah, no movies. Um, no, it it was, it it was interesting in that he's not as known as, you know, Superman or Batman or Spider-Man or anything like that. And he hasn't had movies before, which I think helped a lot because it, uh, I can't imagine like, taking on like superman or a superman movie or something because there are so many expectations and there are so many like versions of you know some people will superman has to be this way for them other people are like superman has to be this shazam is like i mean he's been around for as long as superman but he's never been quite as big or at least not recently uh and there have been a lot of different variations of him in the comic book world as well so it didn't feel like oh it has to be this one thing and so it, it was a bit that pressure wasn't as big i don't think and also the fact that it was something so different from what i'd done before felt like if i fuck this up i don't want to fuck this up but if i do it's something that's completely different because then I can go back to horror. It was like, yeah, superheroes. That's not for me, obviously, but horror, (laughs) I can still get more chances there. But, but yeah, overall making the movie was like making my first movie again, just because there was so much to learn and it was so big and it was, you know, things that are sort of out of your control. Um, like for example, with visual effects on lights out and animal creation, I did some of the visual effects shots myself. And even the ones I didn't, I would shoot in such a way that I would know exactly how to put it together myself if I would have to. Mm-hmm. While on a movie like Shazam, it's just such crazy stuff going on. That it's like, I don't actually know how we do this. So you have to like listen to the visual effects guys and, and like, OK, so what do you need? You need these elements to put this together. And and um, and I've always had <laughs> issues working with like storyboard. Uh, people, because like uh, I tried it on Lights Out. Mm -hmm. But then it was like, you know, they would go off and draw things and then they'd come back with all these shots. And it's like, but I want to design the shots. I mean, if if they're doing that, then they're kind of making the movie, you know. Uh, So I had real problems with that. So on Annabelle Creation, there was just a couple of sequences where we need the storyboard. So for some of that, I would draw really simple things myself because I didn't have time to do them properly all by myself. So I would draw, you know, little thumbnails. and It's like, yeah, just do this, but make them look better. Uh, and then on Shazam, I finally got into this thing of like, I don't have to do. I mean, I, I I can do a lot of revisions with them, but I also don't have to do exactly what they draw. It's just sort of a starting point. And then we can work it from that, you know it was more of uh, uh, getting the action right so we can take that to previous and so on but, but yeah i've always had that feeling of i don't want to give up all this work especially not like figuring out the shots because that's sort of what filmmaking is to me right uh, yeah now,
0: so working on a, on a film of this magnitude and this kind of scale and i think you're right because shazam's not superman batman or spider-man or it's something that's so well known there wasn't as much a pressure attention like i remember when i saw the trailer i'm like oh i that's gonna be interesting but it wasn't like but when the next batman comes out everyone starts thinking of Dar- of uh, of nolan or when superman came out yeah like everyone starts thinking of donner or you know or x-men or they, they, there's they, so
1: we, much comparison and like things top. to live up to and you know
0: so in 40 years when they make a reboot of shazam they're gonna be like <laughs> but david's shazam <laughs> <laughs> right. you've got to live up to the david Shandberg shazam so, the, so the pressure is not as much, but working inside—I mean, working inside the studio system with Lights Out and Annabelle—that's a, a certain level. But when you're dealing within the studio system with so much money it, it, at at risk here, what kind of pressures are you dealing with creatively? Because you're just—you're just—you know—you're being hired as a director to tell the story, to direct yeah. the film. But there is so many other kind of pressures, which just like. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know what the budget was. If it was, I, I think a hundred okay. million. Yeah, it was like a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So, when the, you've got a hundred million dollars on the line, people are are a little bit more on hand, <laughs> and there's yeah,
1: it's, it's you can experience? feel the some of the concerns more. Like you, you know, I mean, they're in any movie, they're going to care about casting, and um, but, but maybe it's a little bit more. And then you know, a lot of they'll look more at different choices it's, and, and just making sure that is this the right way to go. Um, but I, I, I think they're quite open at, at Warner brothers because I've heard stories from other people working with on certain movies at certain other studios, uh, not just superhero movies, but the, the movies of that size, mm-hmm. uh, where it like, I've heard horror stories where a director comes in, and they already have like previous for the action scenes, and it's like, you know, I wouldn't. That that sounds awful. Like, so you so you just do the so why am I here? The the dialogue scenes or like, and uh, you know, I I didn't have that was the good thing about Shazam that I got to do all those things and I got to cast it and you know because there wasn't already a Shazam cast for the universe or whatever, so right. it, it it felt. Quite free in, in that way uh, but but yeah, of course, people care a lot when it's that much money at stake you know
0: right and 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 launching a new i p based off of a new filmmaking i p is based on an old i p um one yeah. thing I have noticed too in your films is that uh, I think I saw a video you I think you were saying in on one on one of your amazing YouTube videos about characters, and like the more characters you have, the more complicated things get. And man, yeah. Shazam has a lot of characters to deal with. So, what tips yeah. can you give in regards to other, other than not having so many characters? So you had ca- you had an obscene amount of characters, yeah. ton of visual effects.
1: Yeah, you know how? And do you- I mean, Shazam two two is even worse because now all the all, <laughs> all the those, those all characters. the kids. I mean, they, they now they all have superpowers. So the, <laughs> you know, all the action scenes are with most of them. You know, and uh, yeah, it's it's quite an ordeal <laughs> 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 no it's just like a lot of figuring out you know like for shazam i would do like this overhead view of the carnival and and because it was even more complicated at one point and i had all these like icons that i animated to just keep track of okay this person is here and then they move here and then this happens of it's just so much to keep track of which you know, once you when you see a finished movie, it doesn't seem that complicated because, yeah, of course, they cut to this and then this guy's here and then they fly there. Yeah, sure. You know, it, it seems obvious, but to get there is just so much work and worry of like, oh, how, how 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 is this going to fit together? And yeah,
0: it, it, it's it's yeah, it's it's not as easy as it looks. I mean, you make it look easy. So that's that's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's why you get hired.
1: <laughs> right. No, but I, I yeah, I don't have a good Solution for it, other than yeah, don't do stuff where where you have six superheroes all the time and and we're, and then seven sins and yeah, you know, back yeah, uh, it's so much.
0: <laughs> You're you look stressed out just talking about
1: it. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was interesting because I I wanted to I, we we tried to fit in a little horror movie between Shazam one and Shazam two um it didn't work out for a bunch of reasons and i mean covid uh, stopped you know, everything yeah. stopped everything as well so I, I was very sad about that because i really wanted to have that sort of palate cleanse i mean it's it's a great problem to have it's like oh no i get to do a second superhero movie in a row you know? <laughs> oh darn <laughs> yeah no but it, but it, it would have yeah, i really look forward to you know next movie is definitely going to be smaller <laughs> Like we wanted to do this little horror movie where a lot of it is just a guy in a cabin, you know, it's like, oh, would have been so easy to shoot. (laughs) And and I mean, when you, when you look at like dramas and things, it's like, imagine how easy it is to shoot that because once you cut it, you almost have your movie. It's not like months Mm -hmm. of visual effects reviews and uh, over and over again and just all this complicated stuff. It's just like, yeah, it's people talking and a little drama and then it's over, you know
0: yeah maybe maybe you you clean out a little thing here you clean out a license plate there in visual effects something simple yeah (laughs) but nothing nothing is crazy so at what point in the process did you because i'm assuming that as you're making shazam when did you feel that you had something that was fun or did you have the same feeling as you did lights out this is horrible my career is over oh my god
1: um it felt some of it felt pretty good. Like uh, I would watch certain things back on the dailies. You know, you get an iPad where you can access all the daily. So there were things there where I would like re-watch at the day's end. It's like, yeah, this, this is pretty cool. I think this is pretty good. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
0: And now back to the show.
1: And I, You know, I, when we shot, The first sort of Shazam scene we shot was in the convenience store when he gets shot for the first time. It's like, hey, I'm bulletproof. (laughs) It was just when we shot that scene, it felt like this is fun. Like this is I think this could be something. And then there were, of course, other scenes where it's like, oh, shit, this is terrible. We need to fix this (laughs) Um, somehow or cut it out. But, But yeah, it felt like there were there were good things in there. You know, did you do any reshoots?
0: Did you have to go back to doing
1: it? Yes, show? we did. I mean, New Line that I've done all along, they always do reshoots. Um, so, yeah, because it, it kind of gets a bad rap of like, oh, the movie must be in trouble because they're doing reshoots. But they always do that. They count on it. Um, which is, it's interesting because on my first movie, on Lights Out, <laughs> I was told by uh, and one of the editors that, Here's what's going to happen. You know, you're going to test the movie. If it tests well, they're going to come to you and say, so what do you want to add or reshoot? If it tests poorly, they're going to come to you and say, here's what we're going to reshoot (laughs) or what we're going to add. (laughs) Uh, And luckily, you know, the movies have tested well. Uh, And Shazam was very interesting because I think we did a lot of reshoots and, and things, which... It kind of felt like oh, it almost feels like this movie is in trouble or something because we're reshooting so much. But I think it was more of a thing of, well, we only spent a $100 million on this or close to that. I'm sure we had some savings. Um So it was like, yeah, well, why not just get a little extra money and, and see if we can, uh, you know, make it even better in certain spice places. Spice it
0: up. Spice it up.
1: Yeah. And I mean, some of that. It was interesting because like in the main shoot in the script, it's uh, there was that scene where he's on the rocky steps in Philadelphia by the art museum. You know, he's doing the lightning with my hands. Mm -hmm. That was always in the script. But then during the main shoot, it's like, well, we don't have the money to go to to actually go to Philadelphia. So it's like, okay, we'll shoot it here on this street in Toronto. Uh, And then when I showed the movie to the studio, they were like, oh, yeah, that scene really needed to be in philadelphia so go to philadelphia shoot that scene you know and there were a lot of those things where it's like yeah maybe we can just make it a little better like the opening of the movie originally had young savannah in his house during dinner and he takes an elevator and winds up in the rock of eternity and they were like ah, oh, maybe we can do more action or maybe we can have something like with a car crash or something and to me it was like hey if you want to pay for a car crash i'd, I'd love to shoot that you know and because the thing is, if it turns out better than what we have, great. If it turns out worse, then we still have the old thing, you know? Right. So I, I was open to to anything. Like, yeah, let's let's do this. Let's shoot that scene and, and do this, you know, and, and see what happens. As long as you pay for it, I'm willing to do it. And and some some things I asked for uh in particular, like originally when they first get to the group home, I did all that in one continuous steady cam shot. And it's just didn't work it just felt eh, kind of yeah it didn't get there and <laughs> there's no editing you can do when you when you do that so i was like i told the studio it's like i really want to reshoot that but i know that's a big ask because that means rebuilding that whole set and the studio is just like eh, it's a big movie <laughs> so we actually rebuilt the whole set and i got to <laughs> reshoot that scene so yeah they 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 were I think they were happy with what they saw and, and felt like it was okay to spend more money uh, because it was going to be good.
0: Right. Now, you you also uh, a post-production guy. Uh, you do a yeah. lot of stuff yourself. So what? Um, what? Uh, how much are you involved in the post-production process in your films uh, from Lights Out all the way to Shazam? Because like you were saying earlier, you're not doing all the visual effects, but do you even still do titles or stuff like that
1: yeah i mean certainly for shazam uh i never did any final thing i think some of the overlays for the news is mine the newscast but otherwise i did tons of temp effects um because you know when you do uh, test screenings i mean we do that quite early on and you just you want it to look all right, you don't want all these blue screen and and weird things in there. So I would do a lot of temp effects myself just to try to get it as closely as possible, which is is pretty fun because then when you do temp effects, it only needs to be good enough for one quick viewing. You know, no one's going to rewind and look at it again. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a lot more fun than when you do final visual effects because there's so much work for those little things just to make it right, you know? Uh, so lots of temp effects and I, I'm, yeah, I'm uh, quite involved in, during the post process because I think that's probably one of the most fun aspects of, of movies.
0: It's, one exact, uh, it's like, I, I forgot who said it, but you make three movies, you make the movie, you write the movie, you produce and the movie, you edit.
1: Absolutely. And I kind of, I love that kind of problem solving as well, where like, okay, if we cut this scene out now, this, you know, now that we don't have B, how do we go from A to C? And you start looking at okay what kind of footage do we have and what can i create um because that's that stuff i did for lights out as well it's like i need this shot of just a push in on this empty room but we don't have that but i have a similar thing here where i can take textures and reproject them in in blender in 3d and create that shot you know um i i i love that stuff of like just figuring out stuff at home or in like in Annabel Creation, there's an insert shot of blood dripping on the floor. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that was one where I that I shot with my little black magic pocket camera in, in my apartment, you know, with some food coloring and just put that in the movie. And yeah, you know, just a, yeah, that puzzle puzzling together and just finding nifty solutions is is really fun.
0: So you actually shot something with a pocket camera and just inserted it and no one cared. It's like perfect.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's and there's awesome. that shot in Animal Creation. There's a shot in a bedroom where you see all these photographs mm-hmm. of uh, Janis uh, growing up. I shot that on my Ursa Mini 4.6K, uh, and and like, and put the pictures in there with Blender and everything. And yeah, it, it works great.
0: And that's uh, again another myth that you're debunking. That once you get to a certain level, you like you don't do things like.
1: Of course, you know, but uh, yeah, and I mean, even when we were I remember when we were I think we were mixing uh, um, lights out. Michael Bay was mixing a movie on the soundstage next to us, and they were telling me that he had been out in the parking lot shooting something on his iPhone for the movie because he was already so far down the post production that he was in the sound mix. But he was like, oh, we need a shot of this thing. And he shot it on his iPhone out in the parking lot. And they put in the movie and made it at work. So yeah, it it certainly happens on, on everything.
0: Now, what is the most stressful part?
1: Uh, well, I mean the the shooting in in general, just sort of keeping up with everything because it's such a marathon and you get so tired and like there were days on Shazam where I was like sick and I was just, yeah, not (laughs) doing well at all, but you just have to do it. Um. And Shazam was also a weird and that that was my first time really working a lot with a second unit. Mm-hmm. And just like with the storyboards, it's like, I don't want someone else making the movie, you know? Um, so we scheduled it so that we shot main unit during the day and then second unit was shooting during the night. So I could, when, once we wrapped the day, I would go to second unit and hang out there and, and make sure that they shot things the way I wanted to. So I didn't get a lot of sleep for, a few weeks there, which was, all you know, not healthy and something I need to work <laughs> on. But um, yeah, it's just hard, especially when you start sort of when you are far along a shoot where you start feeling like you're behind and you're like, I haven't even had time to think of this thing we're going to shoot next. It's like, oh, shit, like when, when it feels like things are just coming at you at a quicker pace than you can keep up with. That's very stressful and you, you need to sort of just take any moment you can and just sit down and think about how you're going to do all these things.
0: Now, do you suffer from the same thing as I think I do and, and many directors do is when when you're done on the last day of production? Isn't that that kind of depression starts setting in like, uh, like you've built that family. If it's been a good experience, obviously, if it's been a bad experience, that's not yeah. much, but do you get that kind of feeling too? Like,
1: not yeah not quite not that soon i mean one first when you wrap the movie it's like oh it, it's over <laughs> <And> like <laughs> i'll get to sleep for a few days you know um but certainly yeah once you've once you're finished with a project you get that feeling of like oh well what now and you know and it, it feels kind of empty and then that happens with even with short films and stuff as well We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
0: And now back to the show.
1: Like you're, you have a purpose and you know what you're doing and then it's done. And it's like, uh, that was it. Okay. What now? You know,
0: always looking for that next high, if you will.
1: Yeah. That's a, but it, It's, it's a just that, that, yeah. In the moment you have a purpose and you know what your future is going to be like. And then afterwards it's like, okay, well, what's my future now? And what's my goal now? And what, what's, what's going to happen? You know,
0: now I have to ask you about uh, your little, I need to know the backstory about your little known four hour feature film um, (laughs) that, uh, that got released called, I I flip you off for four hours, um, which is an official film. (laughs) It's officially on your IMDb as a feature film. So when (sighs) I saw that, I was like, wait a minute, what is that in here about this? And I started looking at it and it is available on YouTube. Can you please tell us the backstory of that film?
1: Yeah. No, what happened was I, I was talking in one of my YouTube videos about the fact that, you know, being a YouTuber isn't my job. Right. So I don't really have to care about views and, and all of that stuff that, that YouTubers have to worry about. Like, oh, how's, how's my channel doing and everything? And as an example... I was like, you know, I, I can do whatever I want. And as an example, I had a screenshot of a movie called I flip you off for four hours with just a picture of me doing that. So that was just a joke in that video. But then for some reason, some months later, I was like, well, maybe I'll actually do that <laughs> just for the hell of it, just as a joke. So I did that. And it's a cheat, of course. I, I did it for less than a minute and just added it together. So it looks like it's four hours. Um, but I put that up, and people really ran with it, and like like they put it up on Letterboxed, uh, and people started giving it this all fantastic review. So it's like, for a moment there, it was like uh, m- among the top rated movies on Letterbox, like next to like Parasite, you know, the Oscar winner and all these. But then uh, eventually, Letterbox took it off because it's like it's not a real movie. But I How love seeing they? that. How uh, dare yeah. they?
0: How dare <laughs> yeah. they?
1: Everyone just <laughs> ran with it. it I, I love when the internet does dumb stuff like that. With not like now with the Bernie Sanders. Oh my god! Sitting in his chair, I've seen that in every, every situation now. And like people have drawn artwork and the paintings. And I saw the, I
0: saw dolls. They're making dolls of it now.
1: Yeah, I saw like a crocheted that, doll and yeah. like yeah, it's, it's everywhere. But you heard what internet did now. Fun. But
0: you know what Bernie did now, right? He actually. Grabbed it, put it on a T-shirt, and now he's selling it for charity.
1: Yeah, yeah, I saw that.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Now I I have to ask you though: like, it's not three hours, and it's not seven hours. Why did you stop at four hours? Like, why did you just make it an eleven-hour feature? So, David, let me ask you a question: Um, If you had one thing that you can go back and ask or or tell to start it all again. So if you could do one thing and say one thing to your younger self before you started directing at first, like the one thing that you wish you would have known before you started going down this directing journey, what would that be?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe to be to ask for a little bit more or not be too afraid with some things. But I mean, that was the big thing with Lights Out, where we didn't want to ask for too much because it was like, oh, this is our shot. Like, for example, (laughs) Lotta, you know, she really should have been a producer on the first movie. I mean, we're sort of correcting these things now. We started Mm -hmm. our own production company and and whatnot. But it was like, oh, let's not ask for too much. And it's the same thing where I've always seen myself as a writer and director, Mm -hmm. but like I couldn't ask for like, oh, yeah, I want to write the movie as well, because, you know, first time director, first time writer as well, then they're not going to they're going to say no right uh so th- there were there have been moments where it's like i probably could have pushed for a little bit more but at the same time it, it's worked out great you know i i love what Eric heiser did with the script i mean he's a great writer and i've gotten to work with writers and, and see how that is and get you know feedback and be able to uh bounce ideas off of each other so but yeah maybe, maybe I, I think that's been a bit of a problem sometimes with me not you know, being a little too afraid of conflict, or like taking too much space, and instead backing <laughs> off. Yeah,
0: just ask for a little bit more. I, I I feel I feel that a lot of artists are like that. I was like that as well. I was, you know, I, I would do jobs, God, for anything. It's yeah. Like I just, you're gonna pay me to do this? Oh, sure, whatever you want to give me.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's been a constant problem of you know back in Sweden. Now it's great having like agents and managers dealing with that, so they can be the bad guys. You know, that that that's been awesome.
0: Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all my guests. What advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today?
1: Well, I mean, the what I always say, because it's, it's it was my path, it was to just keep creating things. Mm-hmm. Because the more you create, I mean, for everything you do, you're going to learn, even if it turns out to be shit, then you'll learn what not to do. And you're going to get better and better for every short or every little creative thing you do. Um, and it just... You, you know, it's like buying more lottery tickets because, you know, one of those things you do might really resonate with people. Um, it, we had no idea that Lights Out was going to become the thing it, it did. Um, and also, you know, whenever I do something, I always think it's shit halfway through <laughs> whatever it is. If it's a short or it's a feature halfway through, I think it's shit and I want to give up but that's you ha- have to actually finish the things you start even if it feels like it's shit, because you don't know how you'll feel about it later on uh because whenever you know you do the next sure. thing it you, you think like well, why do i suck now the previous thing i did was good but when you were making the previous thing you hated that too so you just never know
0: i think that's basically just being an artist
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <unfortunately. laughs> it is it is is it is is what is the cross we have to bear um now what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn whether in the film business or in life
1: hmm oh well, that's a really good question i mean if it's something i'm i'm still just trying to figure out the best way to do certain things like is it uh you know storyboards or Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I've been experimenting with so many different things with everything from shooting action figures to just walking around a location and shooting things, you know, trying to find shots even without people and like cutting together that stuff. And I'm still working out what is the best, quickest way to get my thoughts and ideas across to other people. Uh, and it, it's it's hard. But yeah, at, at the moment, I'm using a blender a lot to do like mm-hmm. little animatics and and animated things and boards and uh yeah that's been working pretty well
0: what is the biggest fear you had to overcome to make your first film
1: uh well again i think it's has a lot to do with knowing that i being confident in myself in many Mm. ways because like on that first movie there were arguments where I felt like, well, these guys have done it for so long. So, of course, they have to know better than me. They, they have to be right. I have to be wrong because mm-hmm. I'm new at this. But I wasn't always wrong. <laughs> there were things like, no, I do know this. So, experience does not always make you right. <laughs> so, you, you could, yeah, even experienced people can be wrong. And I think that's something that can be good to know sometimes. And what are three of your favorite films of all time? Uh, Aliens is up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raiders Mr. of the Lost Ark. Um, yeah, I mean it sort of changes a lot, mm-hmm. sort of. But but yeah, those two and like The Thing. You know, John Carpenter's The Thing. And but yeah, I think Aliens is probably the movie I've seen the most. That was. Like, over uh, and over but it's
0: it's a masterpiece
1: i mean it's, it's, yeah it it is. Is a, it's it's
0: an absolute masterpiece i mean cameron i mean jesus man I've, i mean i have oh god did you ever see um the uh the the you've seen the abyss obviously oh yeah, Both yeah did, versions, did you see times. well and obviously james's version is much much better i think the with, with yeah. the wave with it, the title it's a little
1: long but it's uh, yeah but the title wave
0: makes it it, it yeah. does work did you see the behind the scenes of that the the whole movie the documentary of the, of the like of how they made that movie James Cameron
1: oh, oh, oh yeah and all the problems and everything and i love the the like 3 hours documentary about aliens
0: oh it's my so god oh, yeah. so so in depth it's it's absolutely insane but david i want to thank you for not only being on the show but uh, i want to make sure everybody knows about your youtube channel because you're one of the few directors out there who still are trying to give back even after they are you know after they hit a certain level of success in the business a lot of times they just oh whatever screw screw the little filmmaker i don't care <laughs> i'm not that guy anymore we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show you're still doing it. I mean, up until recently, like, you know, a few weeks ago, I think you posted a new video. You do yeah, it often, right. man. So thank you so much for doing that. It really means a lot to, to me and to also a lot of filmmakers out there are learning. And I've watched your stuff, your videos, and I've learned stuff. I'm like, <laughs> that. yes. Like, I didn't know about the reverse. I didn't. I, I kind of knew about the reverse thing with the neck. In an uh, alien with the with the um oh yeah, yeah. that the, the edits like doing that within the edits and stuff like that like they just reversed it because I know Coppola and it's just an old the oldest Hollywood trick in the book is to shoot something in reverse but yeah. Cameron did it so beautifully in that
1: scene that you just don't even realize it. It's the stuff I I love to see. That's why I, what I can you know but but I, I do understand why directors don't do it because you kind of reveal. Things where, uh, you know, you can get things in a movie that seem like they were intentional or or brilliant and maybe it was just an accident or like something that just, oh, well, we were going to do this and then that fell apart. So we just slapped something together and it happened to work. You know, like you you kind of reveal your. your The magic. uh,
0: Yeah. 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 Like you you pull the curtain back a little bit and sometimes directors want to keep that magic.
1: A yeah, bit. because then people can think that oh, but he's a genius doing all these things, and I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I'm I'm not a genius. I'm very <laughs> open with that,
0: Well, very humble of you, sir, uh, to, to not call yourself a genius. Uh, but this, seriously, man, thank you so much for being on the show and um and continue doing uh, what you do. And I cannot wait to see Shazam too. Is um is Black Adam going to be in Shazam too?
1: No, not in no, no, is that uh, they're they're separate for now. But oh, so, you know, so, so they're reason, not maybe in the third movie or something.
0: Yeah, so they're building it up. They're building it up. Yeah, very cool. Well, listen, man, continued success, brother. I really, I really appreciate thank what you. you do, man. So thanks again. Thank you, man. I want to thank David so much for being on the show, dropping those knowledge bombs, as well as inspiration for all of the tribe to continue going, no matter what, because all you have is the process. Dedicate yourself to the process, and things will happen. I can't guarantee it's going to be the exact path that David took, but something will happen. Just keep at the process. Keep making content. Keep making films. Keep telling stories. And I promise you, something good will come out of it. Now, if you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, please head over to the show notes at indiefilmautil.com forward slash 666. And if you haven't already, please head over to filmmakingpodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a good review for the show. It really helps us out a lot, guys. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.